All right, we are live. Let I'm freaking out. Oh, I could hear it, but it sounded like Amber was singing it. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, did, what she do do. Voice, did she do the voiceover on the on the video? Yeah, yeah. That's she did a nice job with that. Yeah, it's too bad when we put it out for whatever reason, Facebook converted it to really uh, low definition. It was not. So I don't know why, but uh, yeah, it was just so crazy, you know, being out and about in these, especially yeah, at the height of spring or at the height of the sort of like the magnolia is blooming and, and just to have these beautiful parks devoid of all people, it, it is wild. All right, we are. <laughs> It's not even five and we already got 20 people watching us. It might be my family this time. I've got a lot of cousins. <laughs> a lot of cousins. They all want to know what the hell I do. My mom still thinks I work with computers. I've given up on trying to explain to my dad what, what it is I do for work. There's, it's like, yeah, I just say like uh, drive a bus or something at this point. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. They uh, they took two by fours and and kind of uh, screwed them together with the basketball hoops and just weird stuff. I mean, I appreciate they're doing it, but it's so strange to see all those spaces just empty when it's beautiful out. We've seen a pretty big spike in park usage. Actually, it's been pretty wild. Probably too much. Actually, yeah. Right. This was not, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, some of the, the parks have been getting a lot of use, I guess, like the playgrounds is what I meant. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you guys see those statistics? I can't remember who, uh, somebody shared them with me, but it shows Pike County statistics on like restaurant percentage, change in percentage, park change in percentage. It was fascinating. <laughs> All right. I think I've got it set up where I'm I'm watching the comments as they're coming down. Nice. Uh, Greg Phillips down in Arkansas joined us with vodka. Jeremy Murdoch. I don't know whether um, I know a lot of y'all saw the the stuff that Jeremy put together. He's works with the Stennis Institute out of Starkville, Mississippi, and. Uh, has assembled a really great kind of one pager front and back on tactics and and um, stuff for downtown business owners and everything and uh, it's done a really really good job okay here we are cool all right well yeah, it's a little after five we got folks uh, that are still coming on in joining with the group and um, but we are in week four of this funny little experiment here. Um, my name is Ben Muldrow, Arnett Muldrow and Associates. I am joining everybody from Milford, Delaware. Today I am drinking in my Southwest Virginia branded pint glass and I am drinking a dogfish head 90 minute Imperial IPA, which is a fantastic, uh, hour-long drink it's nine percent so uh gonna go go slow there 
Um, I believe it's meant to take 90 minutes, Ben. You're, you're uh, oh, the time oh yeah. okay. Didn't realize. Um, so, Jeff, how about uh, you lead in next? We'll let Joe introduce our guest. All right. Uh, here in Pittsburgh and uh, working out of the home office uh, lately. So, uh, and I am drinking the, the world famous Yingling. Um, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's beer, but uh, it's, it's my go-to, uh, you know, like mowing the lawn type of beer. So, but, uh, it's doing the job. Nice. All right, Joe. All right, Joe Borgstrom with uh, Place of Main Advisors here in uh, East Lansing, Michigan. And tonight I am drinking uh, M43, uh, which is from Old Nation Brewing just down the street in Williamson. It's a grapefruit IPA, and it's freaking fantastic. I don't like grapefruit. I don't like IPAs, but for some reason, I love this beer. And uh, I'm actually, I've been stoked about tonight's episode all the way since yesterday when we, uh, <laughs> when we reached out to Randy and asked him if he wanted to join. And clearly Randy's very busy. He was able to, to make time in his schedule. Uh, joining us today is, is Randy Thalen, who is the Vice President of Economic Development uh, for the Downtown Denver Partnership. Uh, but more so, uh, Randy is a long time, and we're old enough, there's enough gray hair and less hair on my head, uh, but a long time friend and one of my best friends uh, not only in the business, but in the world. So I'm thrilled that he could join us tonight. And uh, Randy, why do go ahead and tell us uh, exactly where you're calling in from and what you're drinking? Yeah, well, first of all, Joe, senior vice president, get it straight. <laughs> senior vice president, SVP. Now, I was reading off the graphic that Ben did, so uh, clearly he messed that up. So, yeah. Good to see you, Joe. Really, really good to see you. I'm glad to, to take part. Always great to hear from you and looking forward to a fun conversation. I am drinking beer I picked up in Wyoming when I was up there skiing, Wind River Pale Ale. It's a really nice beer. It's made from glacier water, which is really nice. And I understand we got some friends back in Michigan where I lived a long time, so I found this uh, pint glass back in the cupboard, so it's good to break that out. Um, yeah, so Joe, right now I, I lead the economic development team for Downtown Denver Partnership, and so it's a different scale than maybe I've worked over the course of my career. I've worked in you know, big and small towns over the course of my 25 years in economic development from very small places in northern Michigan, like Reed City. I think the population was like three or 4,000. Monroe, Michigan, Holland, Michigan, and Zeeland both have sort of all-American city kind of downtowns and made my way to Omaha, which has a very cool downtown with the old market and now the last two years here in Denver. Very good. And don't forget for folks... Uh, who are watching along here on Facebook Live, don't forget to tell us that where you're chiming in from and what you're drinking too. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a couple sticking out there. Um, repeat, you know, guests that are joining us every single week. Uh, They're called offenders, Ben. Liz in North Carolina is uh, is drinking ruby red grapefruit margarita. So that's always good, right? Um, I did put on a little uh, John Prine. I don't know how good the sound is, but wanted to put on some Prine in the background to, to recognize and appreciate uh, the genius that was lost this week. I know, I know, it's tough. It is. Um, I think one of the things that is, it's almost. It, I find it difficult to like keep all the things in order in your head. You know, it's like we've dug so deep into this, into economic development, into communities, and. Um, and it's kind of interesting, uh, Randy, to have you join us because one of the very first people that I knew personally who contracted COVID-19 lives right there in Denver. Mm -hmm. And um, 
put kind of a personal, obviously a personal face, but also a personal story to, to what it's like to contract this, this illness. And, and, you know, we've got this kind of economic disaster that's plaguing the nation. And we also have this medical disaster that's plaguing the nation. And it is difficult sometimes to, to, to keep all that stuff like organized. Right. But, um, I would love to hear a little bit about what you guys are seeing in Denver. Like what's, what's going on. I mean, you guys are, um, Colorado has always been kind of a state unto itself and Denver is definitely, you know, it is a, a, a city like no other. And, uh, with your downtown and the, the momentum and change and, and kind of investment that we've seen in Denver over the past uh, several years. I, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you're seeing kind of leading into this and, and where y'all are sitting right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I have to, I think we all have to really question what in the hell has happened over the last 30, 40 days. It just has come out of left field and it, um, you know, we're going through every year we publish our state of downtown report and that's always based on the year prior data and you know up until march 5th give or take things were booming absolutely booming and we've had this incredible 10-year run of growth and prosperity i mean every everybody's heard some of the stories about denver and they're all true i mean this the skyscrapers have been built the residential influx in the center city um, our retail vacancy 10, 12 years ago was about 25%. It was three and a half percent at the start of March. So um, it's, it's a really extraordinary dynamic downtown and it's, it's a lot of fun to work in. And then um, if there's any Three Amigos movie fans out there, it feels to me like that scene where they realize the bullets are real. This coronavirus, <laughs> sometime in early March, we all looked around like, wow, this that's real, real bullets. This is happening. And um, to your point, Ben, a colleague of mine in the office um, contracted COVID-19, was tested. He spent uh, four or five nights in the hospital and was looking into the abyss and was scared, rightly scared. Um, and a week later, a handful of us were out sick with fever, cough, and I still have a cough. You might hear it a little bit and never got tested, but chances are pretty pretty good. A handful of us had it as well. And so it, it's, we've been out of the office as a result since about the 7th or 8th of March. So um, we've been working virtually as an organization since then. It was, it's really impressive how quickly people adapted and how quickly the organization adapted to keep things moving ahead. But yeah, it became real, real fast. And uh, we've seen we're at a stay at home order just like most states are now. And um, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's depressing, frankly, to walk through any downtown right now and just see the void of people, but it's also it's encouraging to see how without police action, it's not like we've had to bring in the National Guard to enforce this, but people are really taking it serious and we're saving hundreds of thousands, if not a million lives together. And I think coming out of this, we're gonna have a moment where we can all sort of look at each other and you know, maybe not shake hands anytime soon, but we can look at each other and really celebrate um, what we've done. I think that's, I look forward with a hopeful eye. That's what I'm counting on. Absolutely, I, I was very well put. I mean, I, first of all, I was hoping that you were asking about whether we had a plethora of pinata but, um, but i guess that was not where we were going with the three amigos but um you know one of the things and and i feel like jeff has really hit on this quite a few times but we have finally been shown as clearly as can be made possible to us that place means nothing without people mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what efforts you put into how you design it, how you, you know, how pretty it might look in renderings. If people aren't using it, 
then it doesn't have that magic that it needs. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I'm sure that you all are seeing that. I, I know, uh, we've got a colleague over in Owasso where Josh, I mean, where Joe was from Josh Adams, who has done some absolutely phenomenal videos that illustrate the beauty of their community. Yep. But the fact that with that absence of people, it's just not, it's not our home. No. And you know, we've done some pretty wild things here that I'm extremely proud of. And I think gives, I think there's opportunity in markets big and small across the country. I suspect we were talking a little bit before the call started about how the playgrounds, playground equipment itself isn't being used, but the parks themselves are almost being overrun as people need to get some exercise, need to get some fresh air, throw a frisbee, throw a ball, whatever it might be. No different here in Denver. And our city took a bold step to close streets to traffic and open them up to people. And so this last weekend it went in place. I took my bike, went for a good bike ride and made my made my way over there. And after block after block, mile after mile of just streets void of any traffic, I turned onto 16th Avenue, which is one of the streets designated for pedestrian and bike only. And it was magic. People were keeping their social distancing, but we've now, I think we're at 13 miles of streets that have been closed to vehicles and opened up for people. And it's given more public space back. It's yeah. magic. It, it truly is magic to see. And I think that's something we'll see. we're seeing a little bit modeled across the country, but I think we'll see more and more of it. Any chance that after people getting used to, to some closures, any chance that any of that, that resource will truly be given back to the pedestrian and biker after the fact? Yeah, I think those, those conversations are already underway and we're evaluating, you know, what is the traffic impact? What's the pedestrian impact? And those choices will be made, but, but certainly there's a higher probability that will happen now that we've tested it than there was a week ago when we didn't have that, that sort of resource available. But it yeah, was just well, that silver lining then is, you know, the fact that there's a lack of traffic and a lack of, you know, all that gives us the freedom to actually do that. So, you know, again, I'm sure we'd all rather not have to go through this. But again, I think part of that positivity that you guys are bringing to this is that we're using this time to kind of recalibrate and look at things that's a little bit different. I just I finished a, a book recently called Walking Life. And, and uh, the author talks a lot about, great, great book, by the way, but she was talking about sort of there, there was what life is like when when streets were were for pedestrians when when everybody could use them and what that transition was like and there's actually a fascinating video on, on youtube if you ever get a chance it's san francisco in 1906 and it is like a video uh, of going down the street and you can see how wild it is and then you know all these different there's some vehicles there's some carriages but there's people using it and it's just this incredible space and yeah they're, they're we're just devoid of, of life they're just like they're scary I mean, all the, like there's these scary channels that go through the middle of everything. If you step into it, you're you're putting your life in your hand. And it's awesome to see now how like those public spaces um, can can be utilized. Like people can actually spill into those. I've seen kids playing ball on the street, and like that's the coolest thing. So I, I I think policy will change, but I also think just people getting a taste of what it's like to step into the street again is this what's really going to matter? Well, I, I think to Ben's point. The people get a taste of it. They love it. They enjoy it. They're not likely to give it back, right? And so they're going to demand that kind of asset remain um, as a park-like feature and be enhanced over time. Speaking of that, how about the quiet? Like, so we have, how quiet is it? Everybody doing this at eight o'clock at night. People howl at the moon here. Is this a thing across the country? No, I was going to yeah. ask you about that, Randy. Though my my friend Lee posted that uh, a video last night. 
and uh and it was right at 8 p.m and it's like <laughs> apparently this this is the thing we do in denver now and it was just a video from the balcony and you could just hear all these people howling throughout the community it's pretty interesting yeah it's it's yeah it's something i'm not sure what it is but i think it's just, uh, <laughs> but i think it's one of those people want to be connected and there's no connections today and so we can have this little fun moment whether it's a teddy bear in our window or the sidewalk chalk that's on our you know, in our neighborhoods, or now people opening up their door and screaming at the moon like idiots. It's, uh, well, it, it is interesting. We um, we have some really good friends of ours who their parents were celebrating their 51st wedding anniversary on Sunday, and originally they were like, "Hey, do you want to just do a quick house party, you know, video conference?" And I'm like, "That sounds cute and all, but..." you know, when you got folks that have been married 51 years, um, a, a video conference is maybe a little bit of a, a buzzkill. So we organized a socially distant car parade past their house. And, you know, it was, it, we got the absolute sweetest message afterwards about how, you yeah. know, in all their lives, they never realized that it, it's those small things. It's those small moments where you can show mm -hmm personal connection when that proximity, the physical proximity isn't allowed to you. And it is, I keep seeing heartwarming moments like that um, over and over again. I've got a 11 year old daughter, got an email that her best friend's birthday is Friday. So they're doing a birthday parade by her house, you know? So um, that creativity that spurs from this, I think is what we're all trying to celebrate here. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to see where we go with this, right? I mean, I think we've always all been taught that time and money are the biggest constraints that force innovation. If you, you know, constraint these things, you got to be creative. And boy, this stay-at-home thing has forced us all to be really creative about how we do our jobs, how we manage our families, um, and how we stay connected to our community. And it's, it, I think we'll we'll learn from this. I think we'll be better. And I mean we're paying one hell of a price. You know, I think the latest I saw is 17 million unemployed across the country. I mean, that's, I mean, Joe, what's the total employment in Michigan's gotta be what, four, four and a half, five million? Yeah. You say you're at Ben Delaware? Yeah. What's, what's we the, only have a state population of 900,000, so. Right, half a million. <laughs> Jeff, where'd you, where are you calling in from Pittsburgh? Pittsburgh. Um, Pennsylvania, they've gotta be 20 million people. Yeah, yeah, the and we've had the highest unemployment claims in the country for whatever reason. I but mean, if you add up just 17 million people is the entire workforce of Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Michigan in round yeah. yeah, I mean, that's staggering. And, and well, you know what, I, I, of course, there's the, the cost of, of what's going to happen <coughs> in the short run with you know, high unemployment and just, but also like people getting used to the streets again. But, you know, I don't wonder uh, the, the, um, obviously, I, I understand the pain that that causes every family and every individual, but I don't wonder if in having some times of, of um, scarcity won't lead to us being a little more efficient. I mean, like sprawl in general is an incredibly expensive thing to build. Uh, maybe we won't have the resources to continue to build sprawl. Like maybe density will be one of the offshoots of, of um, you know, these coming times. At least I, I have to hope. Well, I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this last week, which was, you know, kind of following the money where the, where the motivation is for local units of government. And what we're seeing is a near entire shutdown outside of groceries, you know, and some essentials. 
the, the, the retail sector, you know, is dying off. You know, there was a great article, I'm trying to remember if it was Strong Towns or somewhere else, but they had posted about, you know, the coming, you know, um, crash for local governments and state governments because anybody who's relying on a sales tax or hell, even in, in, in an income tax, you know, with unemployment, we're going to see a huge decrease in the funds available for cities and, and states. So to your point, Jeff, we may not just have the funds to do that. The, the downside of that is we may not have the funds to keep up what we already have. Uh, so I think that's going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I feel like we're getting a little dark. Um, you know, well, what, and, what is, and let me share some numbers that maybe are a little lighter. Uh, Joe um, was on a call earlier today with folks from SBA and uh, in the first six days and six days is being very generous because obviously the, PPP went live last Friday. Many banks did not launch um, application portals until Monday uh, because they didn't even find out the final information and it's not really even final, um, but temporarily final until 5 a.m. Friday morning. Um, in six days, they've had 400,000 applications uh, totaling loan amounts of $100 billion already. And- wow. um, some banks are, there's some, there's some smaller banks that have already started to be able to award loans out. Um, and we are, we are on the very front end of seeing that PPP money come back out, which in theory should allow businesses to be able to either retain or hire back some of their employees, should be able to start put money in pockets of, of hardworking folks again. And then in addition to that, we're also seeing the uh, EIDL grants are, uh, those loans are starting to come out as well. So we're starting to see some help, which is good. We've been talking a lot about that. Um, but I think that we're also starting to see folks get real with some of their purchasing habits and support habits. And, you know, one of the things that I was interested in, Randy, as you described organizationally, you guys kind of, it, it became very personal, very quick with you all. Mm -hmm. um, could you share any of the observations that you've noticed as you all have moved to a virtual office? Organizationally, are there things that you are doing better? Are there, what are the things that, you know, are you finding that there's certain things that you're able to continue very strongly putting together and other things that are just really difficult to do without that face-to-face -face interaction? It, I'll tell you overwhelmingly, the, the biggest win coming out of this is we used to identify a hot topic that we thought the community would want to learn about. We put on a program, but it would take us three months to put that program together. We had to book the hotel, we had to order the breakfast or the lunch, and we had to sell tickets and we had to get a sponsor. And it just, it just became a beast. And so we were never terribly timely. Um, not to say we don't put on good programs, don't get me wrong, but it just, it, the machine took three months from idea to launch took three months. Mm -hmm. Now the, the demand for content, particularly around the CARES program and any update from the mayor, any update from the you know, CEO of the health um, institutions around town, um, we can, what day is today? I don't even know, Thursday? Thursday. <laughs> we could press, if we could find the speaker that we thought was a, you know, pertinent today, we could launch an email today. Tomorrow morning, we'd have four or 500 people on that webinar in an instant. And, you know, it just tells us that we don't always have to have the big, perfectly um, organized program that if the content is good and the need is and the demand is high, you, you have to feed it. And so we're going to be 
I think we're in our fifth or sixth CARES Act program with different accountants and attorneys. The, the need right now is you know, almost insatiable. Um, and so we've been much more responsive and, and much more timely as a result. Um, from a worry standpoint, I think, you know, I think we're much more efficient. Um, I think we're getting more work per day out of people just because it's constant. There's no coffee, you know, pot chatter, if you will. Um, but I think we miss the human touch. I think as much as we're doing daily touch-ins and as much as I call each of my members of the team on a daily basis, it's not the same. Um, and so I think we miss that culture piece of it. We're doing our best as, as everybody is, but we're missing that. And I also think we miss the innovation piece where you can do some of it through Zoom and Teams and what have you, but it's just not the same as in person trying to be creative together. And so I think that's, that's just the nature of working from home versus working in a, in a shared office. Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, we, uh, we've got folks that just keep coming in downtown Lincoln, Nebraska in the house. Um, folks from Withful, Virginia, Conway, Arkansas. Um, Josh Adams joined us. Josh, I talked about you earlier. So I'm um, glad you're with us. Keith from Missouri. So really, really great turnout. Um, I know, Randy, I, I had an interesting conversation last Friday with um, Edward Francis, who is the CEO of InBank there in Denver. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to me how uh, this is a very, very aggressive uh, incentive and, and aggressive form of helping business. But to me, it's also remarkably promising this idea that the government is going to learn firsthand what, it is, what it's like to help business directly with money that has intended to be like designed with as few strings and roadblocks as possible. Mm -hmm. um, are, can you tell me a little bit about like, are you, are you excited about, is this opening up future opportunities for economic development? Like what are your thoughts from your actual, that economic development focus? Well, one, I hope we never see this again, right? So, <laughs> right. I think, um, this, I mean, we're gonna be writing about this in history books forever and both from an economic standpoint and then how we respond to it from a public health standpoint. I think this is our, our moment, if you will. Um, but I'm an economist at heart. I studied economics through school, through masters and everything. And um, I'm fascinated, politics aside, I think what Mnuchin has done to design a program that is difficult to do from federal government, usually swinging sledgehammers, they've really done some precision work here to figure out how do we get money in a very, very short period of time to individuals and now to businesses, which has never been done before. So part of me is just fascinated to study this over time. The economist in me is just, we've never seen, um, what is it, 360, 370 billion for PPP alone. And there's other programs layered on top of that. And it sounds like by the end of next week, we'll have even more resources deployed for it. Federal Reserve today went public or more visible with guidelines on their Main Street lending program, which is another 2.2 trillion, which is, you know, get your head around that number for a minute. So in total, we're going to be pushing $5 trillion of economic stimulus. That's an incredible amount of rocket fuel to jumpstart this economy. Um, and as I kind of think ahead, you know, we talk internally, um, you know, it's, they're dark days right now, Joe. I'm sorry if I go too dark every once in a while. <laughs> but I, it is dark, right? When, when our friends and neighbors and our local watering holes are out of business, it is dark. And we have to, it, that 
but everybody in that cloud, that sort of fog of war or fog of this crisis starts to think that's going to continue on forever and ever. And then there are others that think, boy, if we can only get back to where we were, but I think we should aspire to what we could be even more. What could we be that's even better? And I think this idea of community solving a world pandemic just by taking a little bit of, you know, a zillion small steps to solve this is going to be a powerful driver for communities going forward. And I think we're going to put that energy towards climate change or inequality, name it. I think we're going to have this new sort of civic muscle to flex um, as a result. So we'll have this grand experiment with the CARES Act and see how that triggers the, the economy. And I, I can't imagine any scenario where $5 trillion doesn't move the needle in a big way. And then we're going to have this civic um, stimulus as a result of this um, response to the pandemic that is clearly showing signs of working now. So I'm, I'm actually optimistic. I think we'll see plenty of changes and we can talk about that if you like, but I'm optimistic about where we're going to end up six months, 12 months from now. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, that the civic part is a good point too, that, that while, you know, I don't want to compare this to a war, but after a country has to mobilize to, to defeat some sort of common enemy. Uh, I think there will be um, some improvements in terms of politics, thank God. And I think that it shows that we have the power to come together and do something better. And then what I also see is like what you, what I think is so obvious now is local matters that, that you know, this hits home and we like, it's our community, it's our own small businesses that it's, uh, it's we're dependent on everybody in our own towns and our own neighborhoods to help defeat this thing. It, it's not, you know, it's, it's coming together to stay apart, but I do hope that, there, and I, I believe so, that there'll be a renewed sort of value to uh, all things local. Right, right. One thing that if you don't mind, so another positive that we see coming out of this, um, you know, Warren Buffett, when I was in Omaha, he has a quote that everybody uses all the time and it's perfect. You. Um, when the tide goes out, you find out who's wearing a swimsuit or not. In other <laughs> words, find out who has cash or not, who has a strong balance sheet or not. And so we're seeing some of that today. Um, you know, private equity, hyper, hyper leveraged, not wearing a swimsuit right now. Um, in a lot of our national chains, a lot of the national restaurants that, that dot, certainly our main street, 16th Street Mall, we're likely not to see them come through this, but that represents, we've, as a community, we've always wanted greater sort of local flair, um, more of a Colorado experience in our downtown, but the pricing got to a point where only national players could afford it. I think we're gonna see that transition and suddenly we'll be able to re, sort of curate our downtown retail and restaurant scene in ways we haven't been able to for years. I, I have a kind of naive question and, and if we don't wanna talk about it, that's fine too, but, I, I think one of the things that I've noticed and and I know um, I know we all know folks that are in kind of the service industry mm -hmm. but are we going to see any change in compensation compensation model are we going to change are we going to see a, a change in the reliance on tipping like I mean, I, I hear these absolute horror story or stories of people who are in that industry and not only has the business dried up, but the, 
there there're just a lot of inequities there and i mean have you guys heard anything on that front cuz that's so, like i say i'm naive to it but i'm also i kind of feel like man that's that feels like one of the essential yeah. parts of our downtowns funny enough ben that, that um you know my wife runs an italian restaurant here in, in the neighborhood and uh they were just having these these conversations cuz they're trying to figure out um you know all of these different things i mean the work schedule so different and and like everything's just sort of up in the air and, and they realize that, I don't know, a, a good example is like right now, the, the people that are, are um, doing carry out or doing delivery, I mean, they've you know, never done delivery before, but now they're doing it, it has to be their model. So some of the people in the front of the house are getting compensated incredibly well. And it's like, well, the people in the back of the house are working every bit as hard. This is not, it's not equitable. So they've actually just started having a conversation this week about exactly that. Like, We've got to get everybody on a livable wage and consider pulling back this whole tipping model. There's, there's maybe just a, I think there's one other restaurant in, in Pittsburgh that does that. So we are kind of looking at, at how do they do that? But yeah, I think that those conversations are happening and, and it'll be interesting to see what the appetite is from the consumer's perspective as well. Cause obviously it'll, it likely has to raise prices, but I think it, I think that's a very astute point to recognize that that might be a change that comes out of this. Well, and I, and I think that's a, you brought just at the end there, Jeff, I think a really good point too, which is, you know, the price is going to increase. If that's, if that's what we do, that's fine. But I think there's, you know, it's not a fantasy disconnect between, you know, all the money that like a restaurant owner makes, because they don't make all that much money or grocery store owner or any of the other folks, you know, that aren't large chains. These locally owned places don't make a ton of money. But if we're going to do that, then, you know, the result is going to be, the bill is going to be high. Mm-hmm. and whether or not we're prepared to pay that. I think a lot of folks are, and depending on where you are, depends on how much income you have to actually do that too. So, you know, it, it, I think it depends a lot on the local economics of, of a community, because if you have a large, you know, say plastics manufacturing, you know, type of uh, a hub within your area, then, you know, that's 10 bucks an hour, maybe, you know, and then, you know, if you're looking at the service businesses being bumped to 12 or 15, then I think that becomes a very hard pill to swallow. I think it's going to, I think there needs to probably be a larger conversation about inequity between the front, the front of the line and, and the, you know, the C-class suites. But, you know, I think it's going to be a, a big challenge. It's going to take a long time to do. I, I think wages, though, are going to go up for service. Um, I think we're going to see people move their natural tip rate from we've gone from 15 to 20. I think we're going to go 20 to 25 just because we're all going to have a bigger heart for what they've gone through. I also think rents are going to drop, which should free up an opportunity to pay people more. And then fundamentally, it's supply and demand of labor. And I'm curious to see how many people jump right back into that kind of job when that does put you more exposed to this type of virus. You know, this virus, we're starting to see it trend down. We're not going to be done for several months. So uh, how quickly people jump right back into that public facing work, I think the supply of labor might come down and that's just going to be classic supply and demand that's going to drive the wages up. It's funny, Randy, you said you you are an economist at heart. I got into a, a giant battle with our local Chick-fil-A manager over the, they have this like- You more sauce than he was willing to give, huh? You know, they were charging a delivery fee, got no problem with that. But then they also charged an added on fee to every single item on the menu. And I was trying to argue with him that that disincents large orders to be delivered. But from a cost standpoint, you would want all of your delivery orders to be the largest orders so that you're getting 
the most revenue per and it was like you know it was like talking to a cow so what does that have to do with me introducing joe to his future wife you know that is a really good good segue <laughs> i would say so i gotta tell the story i promised him i would so here it is so joe and i joe is a great great friend and an incredible incredible economic developer and planner i have to pay him 20 bucks every time he says that in, in between um truly I, and any friend of joe is a friend of mine so you guys are great um, so we played on a I or an intramural evening adult league rec league kind of basketball team. And Joe, Keep in mind, we're all in like our mid twenties. This wasn't like last year. This was yeah. twenty years ago. And so Joe had his eye on this this young woman at the office, and I think this young woman had her eye on him. And we were trying to play matchmaker. We had a game that night, and one of the teammates convinced Kirsten to come watch. All the wives watch, so just show up and. Wives no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. The second point was like, all no, these people no, are no, here. Friends no, show up, please, all, all kinds of people show up. No, this ahead. is my story. This is my story. I, I've got it right. <laughs> so Matt convinced Kirsten that our wives and girlfriends all watch the games. It'd be no problem. So she said she'd go. We go to the game, Matt, Joe, and I, and a bunch of others. Well, Joe, of course, forgets his shorts. So we start there. He's like, he is so nervous. He can't even think straight. Yeah, hold on. I didn't know so she Matt, was that coming. So quiet, Joe. Quiet. I just can't totally talk. forgot my shorts. Joe, can please. Mute, can you mute him? Can we please mute him? <laughs> so we play the game. And after the game, we say, for it turns out, Kirsten is the only one to watch the game. Not only do none of our wives and girlfriends show up, nobody else in the city shows up to watch this game. It is just <laughs> Kirsten sitting there lonely. But she stayed the whole game, and that's to me a pretty strong signal that she. I'm oh, not. You muted the wrong person. I, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. Am I still good? So Kirsten is the only one in the game. No other women. Um, we go to the bar afterwards, grab a beer, we sit down, and Joe, we order a pitcher of beer, and Joe immediately dumps, not exactly, the whole pitcher of beer right into her lap, and that was the love connection right there for two powerhouse marketing and planning people. That's how it all happened. You were so close on so many of these details, I can tell you've gotten older, Randy, because you've forgotten so much. <laughs> First of all, one of, the, one, of the, one of the best parts about, so I legitimately did forget my shorts. You know, we all had home offices. We came in a couple of times a week, once or twice a week for meetings. I have having to borrow shorts. The funny part, so I'm six one. I am having to borrow shorts from a guy who's about five foot six. So you can imagine these were quite 80s, 70s, 80s style shorts on me as we were playing, first of all. Yeah, you got your Larry Birds? Yeah, they were Larry Birds. Yeah, yeah. So... So Randy proceeds yeah, tells the rest of the story, which is fairly accurate. We get to the we get to the bar. We end up having an, a, a pitcher. At the second time, the second pitcher comes around. No, no, no. Did Both Randy and, and and Matt kick each other underneath the table, like, "Hey, we got to go." And at that moment, Kurt and I realized that we've been set up. That this was a whole thing to get the two of us can, uh, uh, together. So I go to stand up, and I'm grabbing a pint glass of pint glass of beer. And as I stand up to grab my pint glass. I did not pour it. It slipped down from my hand, and it happened to dump all over her lap. All right. I think he's making this up. Can we go back to downtown development, please? <laughs> you are so full of shit. My story is in the record. That's the story. I'm sticking to it. So I think one of the things that, that people keep, they keep asking about, and, you know, they keep, they want to think about after. And, and Randy, I think you nailed it earlier when you were talking about how, 
our goal should not be to get it back to how it was. Our goal should be, let's take this opportunity to make it the best it can be. Um, but I think that they also, I mean, we've been talking about this for four weeks in a row, like how soon is too soon. Um, how do you walk that road of thinking ahead while not, not having those that are, you know, in misery feel like they've been left behind or been allowed to, to die in the process. I mean, what, how are you guys, you know, how are y'all kind of walking that tightrope of trying to be good stewards of your business community now while still thinking ahead? Yeah, no, that's a huge question. And, and we're leaning on our public health officials pretty heavily to guide some of that work. I think as economic developers, our instincts are always, let's get back, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's move on from this pandemic. But we, the risks are too high, the costs are too high. And so we got to be mindful of, of sort of the health and the economic side and trying to keep a reasonable balance. Um, we're doing things right now clean and safe, power washing downtown. Really, I think I saw in one of your um, happy hours, you talked about a restaurant owner cleaning his restaurant in a deep clean for the first time in 10 years or something crazy. Um, we have the same opportunity in our downtown. There's less gum on our sidewalks now than ever before, right? And so, um, really going through and, and showing it too, being visible about how we are doing our part to clean and, and make it safe. We're putting in what hand washing stations throughout downtown so that people, if they feel the need, they can do that. We're encouraging property owners to put in um, hand sanitizing stations in their building if they didn't already have it. One of the things um, that we just are pursuing right now that I think is, is germane to every town, big and small, if you have any type of patio cafe space for your restaurants, we're not gonna go from zero to hundred miles per hour and in, in coming back and turn the economy back on. It's gonna be a process um, we're going to go from no restaurants and bars to now likely 50% capacity. So one way that we can, thanks Kay. Um, I just got cookies delivered to me by my teenage daughter. That's so sweet. Mine just flipped me off. That, <laughs> clearly doing a better job over there. I think she wants to be because that ask is coming. Um, no. So if, if you think about 50% capacity for restaurants being allowed, that's a really tough percentage to try to make a go of it for a restaurant. But what if we take the public space, the patio space on the sidewalk and give them more? If their restaurant is next to a bank, let's let that wrap in front of the bank. And maybe if there's a, let's just say a thousand square foot restaurant before that 50% that can serve 500 people, maybe we can get it to 18 or 500 square feet. Maybe we get it to 1800 square feet with the patio. And now they can serve 900 square feet. They're almost at hundred percent of what they were before. Awesome. And with no cost to us and really no cost to them, they don't have to buy more outdoor furniture. They just have to spread it out and get that social distancing thing going. I think that is a simple twist that would allow us to support restaurants much faster than a fifth, just this flat 50%. So I think us as downtown managers have to be thinking of how else can we provide non-cost, non-cost to us because all of our budgets are hurt, non-cost to the retailer or restaurateur because their budgets are hurt, but really drive value their way. Right, right. Are you seeing anything on the retail side? I know one of the big things, I feel like we constantly see challenges in retail that maybe even the local based restaurants aren't having. Um, I love the idea of being able to claim that space in the right of way to increase the, the square footage. But um, are you seeing any tactics from a retail standpoint? 
Not yet. It's a little early. Um, and I'm curious to see, I think that industry is going to, I mean, it's changing, 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 of course, but, um, you know, think about the public health, what goes, I think the, just like when we went back from 9-11, right? When the first time you went to an airport and you went through that level of security, the airport was quieter, people were more, you know, stark and um, to themselves. I think we're gonna have a phase of that here where people, we're not shaking hands anymore. We're not touching elevator buttons. We're gonna have Kleenexes in every elevator to touch the button. Um, we're trying to find ways to, to um, if you know Denver, we have a 16th street mall that has a bus system and a pedestrian only. So transit buses that run up and down in, in pedestrian, big pedestrian areas. We're not running the buses right now. We're probably not gonna run the buses for a couple more months. So can we take that as a pedestrian space that gives us more room on the sidewalk so people can spread out? But I think if we all put ourselves in the position of somebody who is very, very concerned about this public health crisis, you know, do retail um, in frankly towns big and small do the doors become automatic so I don't have to pull on the door? Does the credit card transaction take place more and more with a phone now rather than having to punch all the buttons that I've had to punch? Like anything that you're gonna to be touching, how do we take that out of the system? Because I think there's gonna be an apprehension for people to do that. And so that, I think that's some of the you know, challenges that retail will face locally um, that that'll, will come up with some creative solutions. Yeah, I've not even thought about that. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I wonder whether we're going to see kind of that that basing ingredient of new businesses in downtown. Like when you start a restaurant, it is now expected that you're going to figure out online ordering and you're mm -hmm. going to figure out some sort of delivery mechanism. If you're if you're launching a downtown retail and it does not have an online component, then, you know, it, it's like, that, that's not the way that this works. It, it'll be interesting to see those changes. Especially at launch, Ben, because there, people aren't going to race right back to the restaurants. There may be a wave of sort of civic pride and, and support for these folks, but then it's going to be, we got all these groceries in our pantry. What the hell are we going to do with that? We got to burn through that before we go eat out every other night. Right. Um, I think out of the gate, you'll see that continued ramp up of traditional restaurant sales, maintain takeout um, until they find a balance that works. Do you guys mind if I ask a, a non-COVID-19 uh, related question to Randy? I'm out. I only, oh, to Randy, never mind. Hey, you know what? If Jess wanted to go a whole week without talking about uh, Tiger King, let's, 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 yeah. pull, let's go. It's not over yet. So <laughs> no, one please, thing, I'm happy to not talk about that. For a minute. Yeah, for real. So Randy, one of the things that, um, I, again, it's not a topic I want to get heavily into the politics of, but mm -hmm. obviously uh, knowing that we've seen states all across America that have started to change their laws as it re uh, relates to recreational use of marijuana. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that that's all still kind of up in the air, but uh, it's rare that we get to talk to a major metro downtown that has been able to kind of see some of those impacts. And for other states out there that might be exploring um, legalization, I know that that uh, Michigan is right now in the, it's technically legal, but I think still rolling out. I'm, I'm not exactly yeah, sure where they are in that time frame. but any insight uh, from how that might relate to downtown or is that not a topic you even wanna to touch? Is Carol Baskin's on the line. Is that who uh, I, I Carol Baskin actually got me to ask the question. I thought. He works in mysterious ways. <laughs> no, so it's, 
So I would say in the heart of downtown, we I think we were fortunate in the sense that when that move came, the downtown rental prices for retail were the highest in, in 500 miles, probably a thousand mile radius between here, between Chicago and California, there's no higher rental rate for retail. So that sort of kept that element largely out. It's downtown when the bachelor parties or bachelorette parties, they can find it in ways that I can't. Um, but it hasn't been a massive, massive thing in downtown. It has been a massive thing throughout the market though. When you drive around, you do see it. It is definitely a draw. It has been an element of the population growth, but most studies say it hasn't been a huge element. Um, so the upside is tremendous amount of revenue for our government coffers, certainly. And it's, it's supported some new initiatives that never, ever would have been touched. Um, socially, it's really interesting. So the four of us and everybody on the line is, I assume most people are probably having a beverage of some sort and it's socially the norm. And, you know, if we have, you know, some of my high school kids have their friends over here and I'm grilling up hamburgers for everybody and I grab a beer and sit outside and grill, it's no big deal. It's sort of the normal, the cultural norm. My kids go to somebody else's house and they're grilling up hamburgers and their dad lights up a joint. For me, it's still a little bit of a really, yeah. but, but it's now in the law sort of equated and it's just, um, so that's something that I've personally had to overcome. Probably the biggest, from my perspective, the biggest negative is there's this whole band of what we call urban travelers. And there are these 20 something year old kids who've decided they're just gonna sort of live off the streets. And they truly just migrate across the country depending on the weather and where they can buy weed. And so they'll move from Seattle to Portland, somewhere in California. And then at some point about this time, around 420, they make their way to Denver and they hang out in their parks and they can make about $12 an hour on the street panhandling. And you get enough of them, you pool your money. This guy goes by weed, this guy goes by his pizza and they come back in the park and hang out. And it just, it makes some of our urban parks really inaccessible to the balance of the population. And that's, that's pretty unfortunate. Yeah, I know one of the things that was interesting about uh, Michigan's law is they're allowing consumption centers which was new to me. So the idea of how that might introduce, you know, a whole new element into a downtown. And, and um, again, don't want to spend too much time on it, but just it's always good to kind of pick up on inside of, of things that maybe one, one place gets to learn from before others. And I would just say to me, it's a bit of the, I call it the Ford F-150 dilemma. Like I, in my life and my family style, will never buy a Ford F-150, but it's the most highest volume sale vehicle in the world. And I'm probably, <clears throat> I'm probably never going to try marijuana. I'm certainly never going to go into a dispensary. And, but it, just because it's not for me and I can't really relate to it doesn't mean that there's a big population that will. So I maybe would never go into these common consumption places or is it a marijuana bar? Is that kind of what I I've never gone there, but people will. And if there's a business and it's legal, I guess that's the new the new world. Yeah, yeah the, the ones I've the one I've the ones I've heard about so far, and the ones that they're talking about here in Michigan, are more that are edibles. Mm -hmm. So it's it's marijuana edible form versus, like, say, a hash bar, like in, in Amsterdam. Can we tell more jokes about Joe? Let's move off. Yeah, of yeah. I, I do want to say that there is a whole there's a whole side conversation in the comment section about. Um, germs and Jenny Bulware, who is both the coordinator of the Main Street program in uh, Main Street and also we'll call her a artisanal farmer. Jenny, is that is that good? Um, 
is reminding us that we we need to have a healthy relationship with germs and and i think it's fair to assure you that no matter how proactive we talk about it being there will always be plenty of mom and pop shops that will assure that there are plenty of germs for us all to be <laughs> exposed to uh, i think that um i think that that it will be kind of interesting to see how that how that goes um we're heading into about 10 minutes left jeff what you thinking uh, what are you guys doing? I mean, sort of a, a non, again, a non-COVID. I guess this relates to the last question for, could be for some, but what are you guys doing to, uh, um, stay sane besides drinking? Like, how are, how are you filling your non-work hours? Yelling at my kids. <laughs> <laughs> that, that pretty much takes up most of it. No. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to travel to next, which is a really, really difficult challenge because I don't know when we will be able to, but I, I'm somebody that always needs to know where my next trip is going to be. And so I'm trying to plan something else. Randy, we did something fun along those lines last weekend. We had each kid, <laughs> we taught the kids the joy of PowerPoint and we gave them all a couple hours and like develop a PowerPoint of where you'd like to travel, like budget 10,000 or something. I mean, we just kind of picked a number. Um, and said, like, give us a, a, give the family a presentation on where you'd like to go and why. And everybody came back with these pretty fun presentations about where they wanted to go. Uh, it was, it was a good time. Yeah, we have, um, Lee is teaching herself the banjo. Ella is teaching herself, Ella's sick. She's teaching herself the ukulele. We have a dozen quail that are now generating six eggs a day. So um, I, I essentially get to try to dodge music lesson by music lesson by music <laughs> lesson to go clean up bird shit. That's, uh, that's, pre <laughs> that's pretty much my free time, I guess. Um, what are you doing, Joe? Well, we, uh, last couple of days we, we've been blessed because we've had like 65, 70 degree weather here in early April, which is damn near impossible here in Michigan. So we've been spending a lot of time outside, but the number one distraction that we've had. Hold on, he just, he's leaving. Uh, uh, oh, buddy. buddy. Yeah, it's this guy. This is Buddy. What's up, Buddy? He's the exact same color as my shirt, so you won't be able to see him very well. But he's our golden doodle that we got uh, uh, a couple weeks ago. We got actually got him on St. Patrick's Day. So uh, we named him Buddy. He was part of a litter that was born on Christmas. So he's named after Buddy the Elf. Uh, so he is a, uh, a bit of uh, an energy ball at times and then a big plug at other times, which means he fits in perfectly with us. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. I checked over the comments and I love this one. Did you see uh, Hub City Books in Spartanburg posted how many books they need to sell to make rent for the month? Yeah. That, that is a fan. Like, yeah, that would compel me to, to buy a book. Um, Liz, uh, uh, parents sent me one. No, no, no. Um, Elizabeth Chase sent me one earlier that you've all been to the, the cheesy bars that have the bills stapled all over everything. Um, some bar in uh, Georgia. Uh, the bar owner's like, take them all down. Take them all down. We're paying our staff. With. It was like $3,100. They took all the bills off. Uh, that won't work for bras with, or bars with like bras <laughs> stapled up everywhere as well. But, but with well, the staples, it works. So a lot of those, we've done a lot of those same things, the gift card programs, we've done some micro grant, micro loan programs, which are, I think they're important symbolically, but now that the CARES Act is out there, the dollars just get dwarfed. We're looking pretty carefully at a program. There's a company called Compoto, and there's probably a couple others that do it, but Compoto does like 
the chambers used to have dollars, right? They used to have gift cards. Chamber box programs, yep. We could do it online in a pretty efficient, unique way. And it doesn't, from my perspective, like right now when restaurants need cash immediately, the gift card program, the traditional direct gift card programs work better. But once we get back into a new normal, I think those community dollars are going to be more um, more valuable just because I think it, it again, everybody's going to want to come together. It allows you to buy a gift card, even if Sam never reopens his store, I can go to Ben's place and still use that. And I think that'll be a tool that will be of interest. Yeah, I really like Compono in particular too, because it's it's more, acts more like a credit card versus, you know, chamber box you always have to kind of keep track of. Mm-hmm. At least they, they have it all through an online system. I think it's very clean and that's a, a great resource. Yeah. Mary Helmer wants to know when C6 programs will get some help. 501C6? Yeah. Uh, we're asking, we actually had our U.S. Senator uh, Michael Bennett on the phone with our board the other day and that came up. It certainly is a high priority for us. We are, we're a C6. Um, he indicated there's there's an openness to it. Personally, I, I worry because there's so many C6s that are advocacy groups, um, politically advocate advocacy groups. So I think there might be some hesitancy there. We'll know, I would imagine, by the end of April. I, I honestly, I think, you know, the other big chunk of that are chambers of commerce. You know, it, I think it'll be, they'll probably end up having a document, you know, it'll be for non-lobbying activities because a lot of a lot, of, a lot of C6s, as Randy mentioned, Chambers of Commerce do a lot of, a lot of lobbying, but Convention, Convention of Visitors Bureau, CBBs, you know, DMOs, those are all, you know, very much C6 organizations too, and those are, they're getting killed right now too. Fantastic. Yeah, we are, um, we're definitely hearing talk about PPP 2.0 and expansion of that program, but we're also, I think, balancing that mix between the institution's ability to lend. Apparently earlier today, they removed certain lending restrictions or lending caps on uh, institutions. So, um, you know, I think that that's kind of the precursor to potentially making more available. Um, And let's see, we've got a couple other, well, first of all, Laura Krizov says, hi, Randy. (laughs) And then Kara Wood says, hi to Laura. Laura says, hi to everyone. And Kara said that we should ask how you got your name, Joey Bag of Donuts. <laughs> Joey Bag of Donuts. By the way, none of these people told so Kara and Laura and a couple other folks who, who've logged on and asked questions. They all used to work with us. None of them logged on before today, before Randy was here. So, you know, I, I sell people don't give a shit about me. It's Randy that you're here to see, and that's okay. I think Joe gave himself that nickname. I, if I recall, he kept giving himself nicknames until one stuck. And I have no idea where that name came from. I assume it was a basketball thing. No, it was not. Actually, it was uh, when we were doing uh, football squares. We were doing Super Bowl squares, and everybody had to put a nickname down for something or another because nobody wanted their name. Actually, only the idiots put their real name down for the illegal gambling squares. Um, and so I wrote down Joey Bag of Donuts one day, and it just stuck. A lot of the senior managers who were part of who were part of the, the pool saw it. They all asked who was it. So from then on, like when I got when there's a couple of uh, folks who are still there, like they will see me. They're like Joey Bag of Donuts. How you doing? That was quite the uh, that's quite the fake name you came up with. I don't know how anybody saw through that one, Joe. No, not not yeah yeah. Well, I couldn't. Not everybody could go with LT Gray like you went with so. I see the, the uh, um, shade of my face has come up in, in conversation. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, 
sometimes I get a little a little Irish tan when I when I drink the beer. But um, <laughs> no, I, it's the, for whatever reason the lighting. Like I, I've been doing a bunch of videos lately, and it all, always comes out really uh, red. Mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, it's the lighting or, or, or the camera. I don't know. I can't I can't explain it. But I have a very red face in these. It seems. Or as Darren says, I'm under the sun lamp. Yeah. Well, Liz, Liz has some sort of weird uh, uh, um, fascination with the colors of our faces because she made fun of how pale I was a couple of weeks ago. So I spent a couple of days outside. I got tan. She's off me. Now she's now she's on you. Nice. Back off. <laughs> well, guys, we've got about two minutes left. Um, Randy, thank you so much for joining us today. Obviously, it's uh, it's nice to have a guest that lends credibility to three otherwise, you know incredible guys um and uh and we appreciate getting to to meet you and uh we appreciate all that you've done to put up with joe for all these years thank you but yeah. also just thanks for sharing your perspective um from from denver and uh from you know what you're seeing there on the ground and uh hopefully um we'll have an opportunity to get together in person and and i uh, love to get a tour of, of Denver from your perspective, but uh, thank you so much for coming and, and joining with us today. Before, hey, before we sign off, I need to share my favorite Randy Thalen story. Uh, you guys drop one on me. Uh, we, there's a, there used to be a, a good group of us that worked at the Michigan Academic Development Corporation. We were very social. Uh, one night we went to a lug nuts game, the Lansky lug nuts game. They, were, they had a doubleheader. We actually were heckling the ground crew at one point. We had a couple of drinks, as I recall, but Randy was there. Randy was a good dad. He had his young boy, young son there, who's now got over at Arizona State University. That tells you how old we are. But we're, we're there, and it's like, I don't know, seventh inning of the second game, something like that. And the cotton candy guy comes by. And me, you know, taking him on, on myself as honorary Uncle Joe, I bought the big bag of cotton candy for his, how old is he, 18 months old? Maybe two. Two years yeah. old, something like that. And, uh, He's like, he gives me this look, he shoots me daggers, but his kid devours like half the bag, maybe, maybe three quarters of the bag. Later in the game, I catch a foul ball. I give it, I give it to his son. And the next morning, you know, we all had home offices at the time. Next morning, about nine o'clock, I get a voicemail and I pick up my voicemail and it's Randy. And he says, you know, Joe, it's, it's Randy. It's, you know, actually JB. He always refers to me as JB. He says, JB, just want to let you know, I, I just left the house. Before I left the house, I checked on my son who was in his crib or in his bed clutching the baseball that you gave him last night. And the reason that he was asleep at eight 30 in the morning, because he was up till three o'clock in the morning, you a-hole for giving him cotton candy at 11 o'clock at night. So don't ever do that again. <laughs> that's my, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite Randy Thalen story that I can tell in, in public. Yeah. <laughs> Well, guys, Ben, Jeff, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun. Joe, as always, great to see you. You're always a class act, even when you tell lame stories like that. Um, <laughs> but I but really wish all three of you the best success possible. And I would just say to everybody listening, I do think our job right now is sort of two roles. We got to help our small businesses in every way we can right now and make sure they're taking full advantage of these federal programs. So that has to be priority A. But then I think we have to look around the corner and find a way to be the leader to get to what's next and what next I think is going to be better. We have to just push to get us there. So love the conversation, guys. You're, you're a riot. And uh, I'm glad you got my three amigos joke. Oh, you Thank you. Thanks a lot, Randy. Give my best to Chris and the kids. Thanks,
Thanks for everybody joining us. We will see you next week, same time, 5 p.m. Eastern. Happy hour. And until then, keep on keeping on. Thanks, guys. Bye, everybody.